What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Think you know fantasy basketball? You can win money with FanDuel tonight and all through the NBA playoffs. Draft your fantasy basketball team for tonight's playoff action. It's quick and easy, and you could win huge cash prizes. Sign up for FanDuel now using promo code LINEUPS and get a $5 bonus with your first deposit. Just visit FanDuel.com or download the FanDuel app. Then, draft your NBA playoff team and play for cash. Again, make sure to use the promo code LINEUPS when signing up. Do it now so you can win on the games tonight. Let's do this first cast, episode 543. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of this first cast. Joining me in studio for this first cast episode is Project Spurs' Colin Reed. Colin, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing pretty well. You know, the Spurs are now, uh, obviously, as we know, they're out of the playoffs. Uh, they didn't. They, they came up short in Game 7. Uh, it was a very controversial ending to that Game 7. They made it very memorable, not in a very positive way. Um, but you know, I, uh, Spurs cast listeners, I asked Colin in here, um, you know, to come to the studio and record this off season episode because this is basically the introduction to the off season where he and I are going to basically wrap up this season um, and then kind of go into the uh, the off season, looking at a lot of the cap situation, the, the contracts, you know, di- who do we think is going to get traded, um, you know, who, who might the Spurs look at signing, those kind of questions are going to try to answer here in this episode. So let's go ahead and begin, Colin, with the um, what happened on Saturday night. Uh, the Spurs played in Game Seven in Denver. They lost barely 90-86. This was a game that Denver basically uh, controlled most most of the night. Spurs really didn't have a chance there until the the last like five minutes. So I'll give you a quick quick recap, should I say. Uh, So in the first quarter, the Spurs come out not playing well. Denver comes up, uh, is up by 13 pretty early with three minutes left. They end up winning the the first quarter by 10 points. Um, San Antonio was held to 13 points on offense. In the second quarter, Denver kind of, it's pretty, they're pretty comfortable with the 7th to 13 point lead. Uh, they go into the halftime up by 13. Third quarter, much of the same. Denver leads tw- by 12 to 17 points. Pretty comfortable again. They lead by 11 after the third. However, it's the fourth where the Spurs play their best defense. Um, they hold Denver to, ten- eight to 18 points in the quarter. Um, with with uh, 52 seconds left, the Spurs find themselves down by two. So Denver calls timeout. With 36 seconds left, Jamal Murray hits a 14-foot floater. Uh, and that puts, up the, that, that puts the Nuggets up 90-86, which is going to end up being the final score. Uh, with 28 seconds left, DeMar DeRozan kind of drives to the left toward a crowd. He gets blocked by Torrey Craig. Jokic gets the rebound with 25 seconds left, and this is where it all comes down to the you know the big moment that a lot of people were talking about, which was that with 25 seconds left, the Spurs had a chance to foul and you know basically make it a free throw type game and you know get, give themselves more possessions. And there you see Aldridge, Jokic is holding the ball up top, and Aldridge is so far away from him, like you know two to three feet away. 
uh, kind of just, you know, waiting. And then there's Coach Pop on the sideline screaming at him, you know, foul him, foul him. You see Patty Mills gesturing to foul. You see DeRozan start pointing, uh, Bryn Forbes. But none of the guards and wings, they never actually go up there and try to foul him to help out Aldridge. Um, and so, you know, eventually Pop's like animated on the sidelines, but then eventually like he, he just knows that, you know, Denver's basically running out of time. So he kind of just starts walking toward the bench. And then, of course, Denver, you know, with, with the last few seconds, they do have to take the shot. So J- Murray takes the 26-foot footer. He misses it. However, that's basically the ball game because once he sh- shot that shot, there was a there was only four seconds left. So the Spurs basically wasted 21 seconds. And obviously, we know what happens. Uh, Denver ends up winning the game, and everyone's just like in shock. Like, when in the world happened to San Antonio? The this veteran team that was supposed to have all this experience. Um, so so they ended up losing. So kind of just what were your your just your initial thoughts on that game? Yeah, I guess um, you know I, I was surprised that it was close at the end after seeing how poorly they played on offense. You know. The Nuggets are a team where you can play; they can play poorly on offense for three quarters, like we saw in Game Two, and then turn it on in the last quarter. And it just seems historically, and maybe someone knows the numbers or something, and this isn't true. It just seems like when the Spurs are shooting poorly or they have a bad offensive night, that's kind of consistent throughout the whole night. That's just kind of the feel I've had from this team forever. Like it's really kind of always been that way. They're either like clicking or they're not. And so it was one of those games where it's like, okay, they're not clicking. There's not much they can do. Thought it'd be over. Um, I think. You always want to give yourself a chance, but I think the most important thing for anyone to remember, and this isn't going to be a whole lot of uh, comforting to a lot of people, is that even in those situations, it's a low percentage chance you even win anyway, because now, and I know they're a young and experienced team or whatever, now you're hoping for for players to miss free throws for you to even have a chance, and then you have to go back and probably hit a three, and like, okay, so, like, who on the Spurs are we saying, like, we're going to give this to them, and they're going to hit a three for sure, and I mean, I know they've had... Shooters that have shot well, but like again, we talk about volume. Um, they had shooters out there, but just because that volume is so low, and again, it had been such kind of an off and on shooting night, it's one of those things where you think like, what if, what if, what if? But if they would have fouled, like the odds of them winning are still so low. So it, it was it was one of those kind of rough games, and it, it almost is just a testament to who this team is that they made it. it Kind of a microcosm of their whole season. Yeah, for they, sure. They did real poorly for a lot of the game. They were down a lot of the game, and somehow they found themselves in it, uh, which kind of is how the whole season was. Yeah, no, for sure. It kind of encapsulates, you know, like you just said, encapsulates them. What I was really um, just, uh, you know, really surprised by in a way was that, like, you know, after game six, I, I had to do the Spurs cast for myself, and I, I basically said, you know, this is what the Spurs need to win game seven. They need Denver to miss threes, to not shoot a lot of threes, take away the three ball, make it a two-point contest. Uh, but you and you need somebody else to help you help Lamarcus and DeRozan. So the Spurs got two of those three wishes. They got the help. They got Rudy Gay twenty one points, Bryn Forbes nineteen points, and they uh, and they also got the, the the help on defense. They took away Denver's threes. Nuggets only shot two of twenty from three, just just six points from the three point. That's all they got. And yet they still lost. And and why is that? You know you have to look at the two leaders, which are DeRozan and Aldridge. They had a terrible game, like you mentioned. You know just from the start they were real cold. You could tell they're in the first quarter. So they end up combining the Spurs' go-to players, the two go-to guys, end up shooting 13 of 37 combined, 35% for 35 points. So way more shots taken than, than points scored. Uh, 10 assists combined and four turnovers. And then, you know, you can look at their their their, their kind of like X-Factor we've said all series, which is Derek White. And obviously he is a young player, and like you and I had talked about, you can't expect him to score 20 a night. It's just not who he is at this point. Maybe he will be one day, but right now in this series, sure, he scored 36 one night. That's just not who he is. And, and you saw there... Uh, he was 0 of 7 from the floor, and Pop basically went with vet- with experience. He went with the guy he thought, you know, if, if, if the ship was going to go down 
On Saturday night, he was going to go down with the player that he trusts more. And at this stage, it's Patty Mills because Patty Mills played the entire fourth quarter. Now, some fans were upset about that. But, you know, White had him made a shot all night. So, I mean, and he, he never did. So, so you know, it was just another factor where, you know, he was a young player. Maybe he got caught up in the moment. Uh, we don't know. So, um, so yeah, they ended up losing. I don't want to spend too much time on that game because it, it, does, um, it, it does end their season. But I do want to move forward a little bit. Uh, let's go into the second topic. And that's kind of looking at some trends that, that we saw on this team for, on both sides of the ball, on offense and on defense, that kind of carried over both in the regular season and then into the playoffs. So let's first go to the offense. Um, two of the stats that I really found here um, that they really had trouble were uh, the, the non-corner threes. Um, in the regular season, we saw them shoot 30% second in the league, You know, one of the best accurate teams from three in that area. However, that, that dipped all the way down to 33% in the playoffs and one thing we saw that Denver did to the to the Spurs was they took out their their, their good three point shooters. You know they took away Bellinelli, they took away Bertans, Patty Mills, and you know eventually those guys did kind of get it together in Game Six and Seven, the, the shots at least, but they couldn't make them. They were just so out of rhythm. Um, so so what did you think about that? The fact that like the Spurs, we know they don't shoot a lot of threes, and they were still like the most accurate team this whole season. But then Denver just easily in one series devised a game plan to take away those the the, the one strong part of their three point shooting. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this for something else earlier, but it works here too. Um, uh, Stan Van Gundy was on the Low Post yesterday. Oh, I didn't even listen to that one. Yeah, yeah, he was given this like uh, very coaching uh, centric view of the playoffs, and he had mentioned a couple things that were really interesting. But one of them that really stuck with me is that matchups are more important than like schematic stuff. So we like do all this time to be like, oh, what what big adjustment are they going to make? What are they going to change on defense or whatever? But like the matchups are even more important than that, and really. Uh, the Nuggets changing some of their matchups mid-series really changed a lot of it. Torrey Craig coming to the starting lineup, being put on Derek White. You mentioned him. That really shut him down. Uh, wait, no, he went... Uh, Harris, yeah. Harris. Yeah, yeah. So Craig guarded DeRozan, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, I mean, he, he guarded DeRozan really well. Uh, but I think that they just kind of found those right matchups for a lot of the time. I know a lot... Going back to scheme, though, you know, they were, uh, again, well-documented, running their shooters off of the three-point line, just not giving them clean looks. Um, so it's one of those things where... You know, it probably was that they weren't taking the same in rhythm, clean looks that they had when they were hitting the second highest mark in the league. So, you know, and I think part of that comes to when you're not basing your offense around something, it's probably easier to take it away. Yeah, you know, when, when, sure. it, when it's just a smaller aspect of your offense rather than like your whole offense is based around it, you don't have the counters required to, to like, okay, they took this away. Now, how do we counter the counter yeah it's just like okay well it's such a small part of our offense anyway they took it away and now now what do we do yeah so no that, that's a good that's a good point and also i know i think coach pop should get some credit there too because for for games one through five he was playing a lot of davis bertans then we saw him cut davis's minutes all together in, in game six and seven and so what did that do that allowed more guard oriented lineups and that helped ease i mean slow down the nuggets as three-point shooting because their volumes significantly went down in game six and seven and also their accuracy. So I think Pop also, you know, but it was obviously, it wasn't enough though, just to take away Denver's shooting. Um, the other stat though that I want to talk about is frequency from threes. Now, we, we know this is the NBA t- today's game where it's all three point shooting. You know, if not, you're considered like a dinosaur, like the Spurs, who don't take a lot of threes. So let's talk about their volume. Um, frequency from all threes. In the regular season, they were 30th. Only 27% of their shots came from three. In the, in the playoffs, it went all the way down to 21% of their shots came from three, which is 16th, which was last among all playoff teams. So my question to you is, can can they survive like this like next season and going forward, like just being dead last in, in frequency? I, I know that, that during the regular season, they get the most accurate three-point shots. You know, DeRozan sets these guys up well. But, but I mean, I just feel like they're always – it always feels like they're behind in the math game. What do you, what do you think about that? 
I mean, I would imagine they don't think they can survive like that because you know we 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 hear in Pop's uh, like postseason interview he's talking about uh, players shooting more threes, you know, and that's he he even mentions Aldridge, he mentions I believe he mentions DeRozan, yeah. mm-hmm. so. When, when Pop is conceding that point, I think that we can say they know that they can yeah. survive like this. They know that that's kind of one of their undoings here. Um, so so I, I feel like we have it on pretty good authority that no, they can't. But it's, it's, it's hard. You know, there have been players who throughout their career have become better three-point shooters. Yeah. But you can't just expect because someone's going to work on something that they're going to get there. So... It's one of those things where we can't count on that happening until next season. We see one of these guys actually hitting more threes or taking more threes even. Yeah, and, and think about that too. Is I, I just can't realistically see that like in terms of volume. I can see them maybe taking one or two a game, like yeah. spot-up type threes. But I can't see like just like DeRozan coming off the screen and pulling up for a three-pointer. Or Aldridge you know, being like Kevin Love immediately going to pick and pop from three just so fat, so quick. I just don't see that in terms of, of, of a one-year progression just going you know over a summer to get that type of volume. That we see from a lot of stars in today's NBA, so I think that's the that's the really tough part for San Antonio. It's the fact that it's not just that that you know their their role players are the shooters have to be the shooters, should I say? It's the fact that they're they're two go to guys that's just not in their game. I mean, and you even hear stuff like Pop had to say uh, about Lamarcus that he just doesn't like to play play at the three point. He, he he prefers to you know post it up, and it's like yeah, but you know you see what's going on here, and so. I don't know. It's an interesting question, and we're going to kind of talk about it's. It's going to lead toward a, one of our topics as we go a little bit further into this episode when we talk about the offseason plans. Um, let's look at the defensive end now. Some some trends I saw. Um, you know, defense was still bad in the regular season. They allowed teams to score 112 points for 100 in the playoffs. That went up to 113. So just a one one points per 100 difference. But again, it's going in the wrong direction. Half court defense was bad again. 95 in the in the season, up to 97.1 for Denver in the playoffs. Um, and then uh, accuracy at the rim was pretty consistent. They, were, they weren't very good there. Allowed 63% of the season, 62% of the playoffs. And then um, accuracy from the non-corner threes, 36% of the season to 36% in the um, in the playoffs. So so on the defensive end, do you feel like this is something where, where DeJounte is really just going to help overall ease a lot of these, these, these weaknesses? Yeah, I think that um, having someone where the point of attack is going through a defender like DeJounte will help. And, and, you know, you think about what we talked about inserting Torrey Craig into the lineup did. I mean, you could shift Gary Harris over to Derek White, and now Torrey Craig is on DeRozan. And now the Spurs will kind of have that effect where they have um, Derek White, DeJounte Murray, and DeRozan. Now you can hide DeRozan on the weakest yeah, one through three. Exactly. And, you know, before it's like sometimes that second option is still really good. Like think about Portland or Golden State. You know, when when the second best option is to hide DeRozan on, on someone who's still going to be really, really good, that's not as strong as hiding them on the third option. Like, if their third option is still insane, there's not a lot you can do about it. But a lot of the times, you're going to live with that. Um, and I think that, again, we've seen it time and time before where players have improved just by being in the system longer. And so I think that's going to be the case for some of these players that are newer to the Spurs system. So I, I think, you know, having DeJounte... You know, just the plus minuses were insane uh, yeah. two years ago. Just mm-hmm. having him on the court versus having him off the court. Um, and I had forgotten about that. I think that there's been a lot of pieces written about that. I think Jabari Young might have had one about, like, that might be their biggest offseason addition or whatever. But, you know, just to, to know, like, how much better they were with him on the court yeah. was about how good they were with Derek White on the court this year. So 
when he was off the court. So just adding that extra defender, I think, will help shift everything along. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm with you there too. Like, I just feel like having Dejounte and next to Derek White, you know, you improve a lot of these a lot of these numbers. You're gonna like let's just talk about accuracy at the rim. Okay, well, there's gonna be less frequency from opponents because they're not gonna beat those two guys as often toward the rim, getting into the rim and kind of carving up the Spurs' defense. Uh, the accuracy from the non-corner three again, when you have better defenders out there, they're gonna be quicker, you know, and rotating. Just be, be just be a lot smarter too. Have a higher level IQ of knowing when to kind of tip passes and, and get into uh, uh, passing lanes and things like that. And I also think that him. You're going to increase your, your defensive rebounding. You're going to, um, you know, your, your switchability. Really, you're going to the only person you really have to worry about. If let's say that they all start, uh, Dejounte, Derek, De- Demar, Lamarcus, and, and Jakob, the only guys you really have to hide there is Demar, like you mentioned. And so it's a it, it's it's a lot easier. You just have one weak defender compared to when you had several. You know that they can just target the defense. And also he's going to give you more transition opportunities. You know when he does get a defensive rebound, he can easily take it take it down court. So that should also increase the, uh, help out on their offense a little bit. So yeah, I really feel like. You know, he is going to be a huge part of that, and I think the the tough part for Pop will be is is how much does having if they do start that group like I mentioned, how much does does losing so much shooting on offense without like Brent Forbes in there, it, it you know how how much is that going to weigh is, is what I think that the, that the team will evaluate because I think that they'll definitely try it for like twenty to twenty five games, try it out, see how it goes, and if it's not working, they're just losing too many points on the offensive end, right. they're just not scoring enough. Well, then maybe yeah, you have to look at maybe sending one of those guys to the bench or you know making some more configurations. Um, let's go ahead and go into the offseason now. Let's go ahead and look at the Spurs' um, you know, cap situation, where they stand. So I'm going to go through each player's contract, and then I'll kind of go do the o- overview. Uh, so the highest-paid player next season um, projected is DeMar DeRozan, uh, earning $27.7 million. LaMarcus Aldridge is second, $26 million. Patty Mills, third, $12.4 million. Davis Bertans, fourth, $7 million. Marco Bellinelli, fifth, uh, $5.8 million. Jakob Pertl, sixth, $3.8 million. Bryn Forbes, seventh, $2.9 million. The 19th pick. Eighth is going to earn two point eight million. Uh, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, will, earn, will also earn two point eight million. Dejounte Murray will earn two point three million. Derek White will earn one point nine million. The 29th pick will earn one point nine million, and then Chemezi Metu will earn one point four million. As far as dead money on the Spurs' books, they have about five million bucks still from the Pal Gasol buyout that will be on their books. So with all cap holds right now, the Spurs are projected to be $18.8 million over the salary cap next year. Now, what does that do? That allows them to re-sign all, all their own free agents if they wanted to, uh, and those those eight those free agents agreed, and it gives them access to the best MLE, which is worth $9.2 million. So so with while being over the cap this way, the Spurs would have access to add $9.2 million uh, with, with the mid-level exception. Now, what happens if, let's say, all the free agents walk, you know, sign elsewhere or the Spurs just don't bring them back and they renounce their cap holds? Well, if that's the case, then they'd be $5 million under the cap but they'd have they'd have a smaller exception. They'd only have the uh, room exception, which which is worth four point seven million. So so it's not as much money. So uh, you know if if you're San Antonio and you're going to want to keep this group together, like Pop mentioned, then the best thing to do is is try to resign your own free agents and uh, and use that nine point two million dollar um, cap hold. Now the Spurs do have you know as long as there's no trades going down, there's thirteen guaranteed players on the roster. They're, like I mentioned, they're going to be over the cap and they're going to have Drew Eubanks on a two way deal. Um, so. Uh, looking at the the free agents uh, with cap holds, you got Rudy Gay with thirteen point one million um, dollar cap hold. The Spurs can give him a two to four year deal at up to nineteen million. Uh, you got Dante Cunningham three million, uh, Pondexter one point six, Moda Yunus one point six, uh, Joffrey Laverne even though he's not on the team, <laughs> but since he's over, overseas they have a cap hold one point six million. Uh, Nikola Milutinov, the uh, 
2015 first round pick, a $1.4 million capital. And then uh, Ben Moore, the two-way player, has a $1.4 million capital as well. So um, let's start Let's start here with, with Rudy Gay. What do you think is going to happen with him just initially? Um, so I could see him asking for – because obviously the Spurs can offer him the most. Uh, well – not entirely true. They can offer him the most of like any over the yeah, cap. Up, they can up to, they can offer him up to nineteen million basically. Right, right. So in, in, one any, year, in one year of a deal. Yeah. So anyone who can offer him more would have to be under the cap teams, and those teams I don't think are looking yeah. for uh, Rudy Gay. So in practice, the Spurs will probably have more buying power for him than anyone else, really. Um, and but I, I don't think it's going to go the route of how much they can pay him. I think. The, he might ask for something similar to what he's receiving now, maybe even a little less, if it means a long-term deal. Okay. Something like a three- or four-year deal. Yeah. Um, that way he has that security. You know, he's had a couple injuries in his career. You know, he's enjoyed his time in San Antonio. Maybe say, I'm going to play out the rest of my time while I'm still a player who can be useful to an NBA team with this team. Uh, just lock me up for, for three or four years. And it might, like I said, be around what he's getting paid now, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. But... If, if I was Rudy Gay, I think that might be the route that I would take. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that came out. Or it could be like a one-year $19 million, you know? yeah. <laughs> I, I think either one of those are kind of feasible. Yeah, for me, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth. Ever since, I'd say, like April, I've kind of just been back and forth. And like sometimes I feel like, yes, Rudy needs to be on the team. They're going to bring him back at all costs. Or sometimes I feel like, oh, this might be his last moment as a spur. Kind of those kind of moments. It just feels – it's been really tough to, 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 to read the situation here. Um, you know – you see, like when he's playing really well, he's scoring. You know, he's he's having some really good defensive moments. Um, you know, being a switch switchy type defender. Uh, you know that in the locker room, you know he 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 was he what he was like one of the recipients of the think, teammate of the year awards, mm-hmm. like that. So, um, and just like all the guys really embrace him. You can just tell. And even Pop had had some good um, remarks about him after the after the season ended, and, and you know basically said that the Spurs do want to try to bring him back. And it just feels like he's really close to like Lamarcus and and Demar, and even like how, how they mentioned how he, how he takes a lot of the young guys under his shoulder, under his wing, and really preps them. So and you always see him like on on social media with Patty Mills, like they're doing the coffee club together and stuff. So so I feel like to 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 the to the part that's not a statistic, like those those um what do you call them intangibles? intangibles yeah. yeah, yeah, those. I think that that's a strong sh- sign that he will resign here. I think he definitely likes it, uh, the city, um, you know, the organization, like we said. However, the parts that I really you know, some of the stuff that I have seen that might be a little negative is that the fact that, like, you know, how do we know that he doesn't like coming off the bench anymore? You know, how how do we know that he wants to still be a starter? Maybe he doesn't like coming off the bench. We're not we're not sure of that. It seems like they do play their best now, as we've seen with Jakob and Lamarcus together and, and Rudy. Um, you know, it, and, and when he's coming off the bench, he's he, there's a lot more responsibility on him to produce. And we saw the results of that, like in from games two through five, he wasn't producing when he was coming off the bench. And you know, and that's where that's where you're looking for that help if you're Lamarcus and DeRozan and, and the Spurs. Whereas when 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 game six and seven, when you see that he can produce and he and he gets it going, it's like wow, you just added another weapon to your lineup. So, so I feel like there's a little bit more responsibility when he comes off the bench. Um, you know, I've seen times when, during the season when Pop has immediately pulled him because he makes some, some, some terrible defensive mistakes. Um, um, you know, so 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 it's really hard to gauge. And, and from what I would just say right now is, I think you're right. I think he might look for the years. And, and I just feel like you know if if the if the MLE is nine point two million, which is, I think he, is what I think he can get from other teams, mm-hmm. then I think that the Spurs would just try to beat that by like one or two million more, maybe like a ten to yeah. eleven million dollar, like you were mentioning, like what he's kind of earning right now. So so I really feel like it, it kind of I, I just can't read the situation quite well yet. So so it wouldn't shock me. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes back, but then it also wouldn't shock me if he leaves. Is, is where I stand right now on Rudy Gay. Uh, do you think they bring back Cunningham or Pondexter? Or Mil- no, I, I don't think so. Okay, me either. So we don't spend any time on them. Uh, Milotinov is an interesting player. 
Um, you know, I, it's hard to get the, the specific contract details of players overseas. I just know that most of the Spurs' um, international players, like Militino, Adam Honga, um, Nemanja Dankovic, a lot of them do have buyouts every season. So that's kind of up to the Spurs and, and whether or not the, the player wants to come over and play. So for, from his perspective, I just don't know if, if like leaving, being a starting center, being one of the best players in the EuroLeague right now, if he want to give that up just to come to the Spurs and be, you know, maybe be Jakob's backup, or do you just get the, the pop rookie treatment as a as an international player? So, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, and the other thing that I'm thinking is if if they start going because we talked about the starting lineup looks good defensively, but we don't know offensively. And there's a couple of things that I'm actually thinking about that that they could go a couple of different directions. One of them is to bring Rudy Gay if they resign him back into the starting lineup, and now. Jakob's on the bench, and then what happens? Like yeah. now you have two centers in your rotation off the and bench, and you have Chimezi Metu still there, right? And and so, who gets the minutes? Who gets to play? And now all of a sudden you have people playing inconsistent minutes, and and maybe like you said, someone who's in contention for the Euro League MVP is not even playing in the NBA. And and so I think that's obviously something they're going to take into uh, consideration, but. I, just just the way that their lineups are right now is so weird that that I could see why it wouldn't make sense to, to come over yeah. to the NBA uh, unless they they had pretty good assurance that that he would be that that backup big. Let, let's let's talk about trades a little bit. Um, I almost feel like there's not really an untouchable player on this on this roster. Like I just feel like everyone's up for grabs. Like if if the t- if a team caught it and they had a, a package that San Antonio would like, I think that they would they would execute a trade on, on mostly all these guys. Um, so, so I, that's where I kind of just uh, overall, but I think that the guys are kind of kind of safe, I guess you would say. But, but like I said, nobody's like untouchable. Is a uh, like DeRozan seems like a safe option right now. Um, uh, it's it's weird because I, I don't think you know. First of all, I don't know what team's going to ch- call for Patty Mills, but I just also don't think that I just think that listening to Pop and his and his endorsement of him, it just sounds like he means so much more than just what the statistics provide or what he does on the court. I th- I feel like the Spurs value his um you know his leadership. Just so much more than maybe you know maybe what, what we see on, on the box score each night. So I almost feel like Patty's not not a guy who who would uh, possibly get traded. Um, you know, Jakob's obviously played well, and, and you know I, I don't think they would they would look at moving him. I, I'm interested to see your thoughts on Forbes. I almost feel like they wouldn't. You know, unless unless it was a, a really really good package for him, I don't right. think that they would. What do you think about that? Like, yeah, so I think it's like he's like the one one of like the, the last like reliable players in terms of, the, of a guard. For right, them. right. I honestly wasn't even thinking about the Spurs trading anyone until I saw Jeff McDonald talking about that on Twitter and on yeah. his personal podcast or whatever. Or, uh, but I, I, what I realized about Forbes today is that, weirdly enough, like he might be... You know, I mean, you talk about the untouchables like Murray and White, as untouchable as they, they can be. Put those aside. Uh, after those two, he might be the be- Spurs' best trade ship just because of the contract that he's on. You know, what he gave to the Spurs on a less than $3 million deal... That's a very easy contract to move. Um, if the Spurs were looking to do some maneuvering for any sort of reason, like that's the type of deal that works. But he—he's not—he wouldn't be a salary dump. Like he's a player. But for that reason, that's a good reason to hold on to him. I think that he does help space the floor. Um, and this is kind of going off. It, it's the same thing, but a, a slightly different direction. I think he could be important if. We're, for the Spurs, if like four months into the season, we're looking and we're thinking the offense is just not doing anything and yeah. it's not worth the defensive improvements. And we say, or the Spurs say rather, uh, they might give Derek White like the Ginobili treatment. Because yeah, I think he loses so much 
of his offensive capabilities when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Yeah, for as sure. As much as he won't win. And he's going to lose less touches next year with, with Murray. Right, with too. Murray and DeRozan out there. Yeah. I feel like like he can hit those spot-up threes, but like I feel like so much of what he does well is just run the pick-and-roll, steady the offense, and they're going to take the ball out of his hands so much that I feel like you're losing a lot of what he brings to the table in that yeah. starting lineup. So I can see a situation where they say, like, you're our first guard off the bench, uh, but we're going to put fours back in the starting lineup to give some spacing, and mm-hmm. now there's not going to be too many ball handlers. Yeah, and no, for, for sure. that reason, I think fours might be important to keep around. Yeah, for sure. And, and like, I was going to keep going to, down the list. Um, you know, Lonnie Walker doesn't look like a guy who would probably no. get traded unless there was something really astounding. Uh, DeJounte, like we mentioned. Derek White, like you mentioned. Um, like a guy, I think a guy who, who would be available would be like somebody like Chemezi Metu, who really has improved a lot. As far as the two picks, the 19th and 29th, I think the only way they get rid of those two picks is if they trade up. So, like, they package them together is kind of where I see them, those two picks. I don't think, since they're going to be an over-the-cap team, I don't see no urgency in why you would package one of those picks with one of these players you want to get off their contract. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. Unless you, you know, had a commit from Kevin Durant or just somebody, so some, like, uh, really good all-star who was get, uh, giving you their, their word that they were coming, then, of course, you try to use those picks and trade. So, so those are kind of the players that, that I think are pretty safe, that I don't think that they're going to move. Now, three players that I didn't mention were LaMarcus Aldridge, um, Davis Bertans, and Marco Bellinelli. So, so, so I want to talk about these three guys and why I, did, why I didn't mention their names. Um, it's really not safe. Now, I think Aldridge will be safe in the end, um, but I really feel like maybe they do need to make some calls on him. Just kind of see what his value is, you know, gauge the market. Because like I mentioned, it goes back to that math part where I think you can survive in today's NBA with one, with, with one guy who doesn't take a lot of threes, you know, volume threes. And I think that guy has to be DeRozan because he does so much more where he's creating. He can create from the point of attack. Pop, Pop basically called him in his end of season interview their only driver this year. Basically, that's what he that's what he called De- Demar. So that 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 works though still in today's NBA. Sure, sure, Demar takes the mid range jumper at a high level, but he still gets the free throw line. He still creates for others. We saw you know the, the stats were there all year where he was the, the number one guy and getting everybody their three pointers. I'm not as, you know, as high on Lamarcus in terms of just you know when when he has a bad night like we saw in Game Seven, you know, it really just you know there's not much else. It's hard to get him going. You have to put him more pick and roll action. Uh, defensively, you know, he's, he's very underrated. I think that he really brings a lot there. But if you can get like a package where you get some other versatile defenders there that you can put at the four or just slot in, then I think that there's still some some there. What do you think about him in terms of them just making calls? Yeah, and that's another thing I was thinking of in terms of lineups. You know, is that. Obviously, we, we know about Mori Ball, the rim being rim free throws and threes. Uh, and you can get efficient shots from DeRozan that aren't threes from the free throw line in the rim. And I think when you pair him with someone like Pirtle, who can set good screens and roll hard, um, now all of a sudden, like, if you surround DeRozan and... Jakob with a couple shooters, that is an incredibly efficient offense at that point. Yeah, uh, It's harder to make that kind of thing with Aldridge and a guard that doesn't shoot and a couple of shooters. Because at that point you're starting... It, it just, Especially when, when one of the main ways that Aldridge attacks is the post-up. So that, that kind of... So I mean, I, I don't think you want to like say, oh, hey, he's our best scorer, and just because he's not efficient in the way of like yeah. the modern NBA. But I do, I do see what you're saying. I think that, you know, if, right. even if it's just making calls and seeing, like, what kind of packages are out there to um, just kind of get their offense more flowing while also keeping their defense intact. Like, it, it, obviously, they're two different players, but, like, if you could just combine Aldridge's off, I mean, defense with Kevin Love's offense, I mean, that's, yeah. like, the, that's like the four that you want him to be. But, unfortunately, you just can't. Make him to that, and you can't make Kevin Love into that, you know, into that type of player either. So, so it's it's 
you know, I'm not saying that, that they should trade him. I'm just saying that I just feel like stylistically, like it's just tough to to, to win in today's NBA. And I think I think we, we witnessed that in this last series with, with two guys that are not high volume three point shooters. I think you can survive with one, like I mentioned, but not not two. That's really tough. So so you know, I, I do I do think though he's safe. I don't think that they would move him. Um, uh, and then the two guys though that I think that definitely are movable are, are, are uh, Davis Bertans making seven million and, and Marco Bellinelli. And again. Two reasons why I say their names is because Bertans, we basically saw Pop take him out of the rotation. And if and especially if they bring Rudy Gay back. If they do, you know, bring Rudy Gay back, well then, you know, we saw that when push comes to shove, Pop's gonna choose Gay Gay over Bertans, you know, the guy who's more versatile brings a lot more on, on both ends. And so you basically saw Davis not playing those last two games. Uh, and then Bellinelli, the fact that, you know, he's we all know he's a minus on defense, you know, throughout the whole year. But then also the fact that in the playoffs, you know, they really, um, Denver really took away his biggest strength, which is the outside shooting. And, and he really had a tough time getting going. Uh, what do you think about those two players? Yeah, I think those are other players that would make sense to, to again, maybe not like actively shop, but like see kind of what packages yeah. are available. Um since the Spurs have two draft picks, and it's hard to know. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like, and this is something we kind of glossed over, it would be interesting for the Spurs to sign or to draft two players that they immediately put into their system just because now we have yeah. the roster spots and that kind of complication. I would imagine that, that one of them would be like probably the, the later pick, like a draft and stash type thing. Yeah. Um, if they use both picks. But, you know, if they don't see anyone in that late 30 area that they are really interested in I can see packaging either one of those players with a pick to uh, to either get that type of wing and who knows how many of those are available but just they can provide a little bit more of that 3 and D style uh, or move up in the draft uh, from that 29 spot to just a couple higher even on that that front where they have two picks but they're closer together by the end of that yeah no no for sure so so like i said i don't think you know i think like, like we both said i think they'll make calls to just see what you know what, what's the market on them um even though i'm not sure i don't know if, if anything will come through now let's look it, it's weird when, when you look at this team you know especially with murray coming back now let's look at team needs you know i'm, I'm gonna give you the, the depth chart where it kind of stands in my opinion um you know let's just say they start with this the starting five like we mentioned the one is white two is Dejounte murray Three is DeMar DeRozan, four is LaMarcus Aldridge, five is Jakob Pertl. So that's your starting five. Off the bench, um, you got Patty Mills backing up the point guard. You got Brent Forbes now coming to the bench. Then you still have Bellinelli, you know, there. Uh, and then um, Davis Bertans and, and Chemezi Metu. Again, this is this is assuming Rudy Gay hasn't been re-signed or, or, or won't get re-signed. Then as your, as your last option, you got, you got Lonnie Walker, the fourth, uh, as that extra wing. And I really feel like they need to get Lonnie some minutes, but I feel like when it you know, in terms of who does Pop trust in the regular season, I feel like Bellinelli and Forbes and Mills still beat him for those kind of minutes. Um, so, so what do you think that, that is the specific need? I wrote down like a backup defender, three and four kind, mm-hmm. um, you know, or maybe a volume shooter, not, not a spot-up shooter, a volume shooter, somebody who really puts up a lot of attempts off the bench, uh, and a backup big, you know, if they don't trust Chemezi Metsu. What do you think about that? Who, who, what kind of position they need? Yeah, that's um, interesting. <laughs> The, to shout this out again, but when you said volume, it made me think of Stan Van Gundy again on the low post. He's talking about, yeah. as a coach, he worries less about the guys that come off the bench and shoot three on good attempts than he does the volume shooters, even if they're lower percentages. Because you know they can come in and have a game where they hit like five or six threes. Yeah. And so just knowing like that's a coach's mindset, that that stresses them out more, that that puts more pressure on them, I think knowing even if the Spurs have sign a player like that or trade for a player like that, 
even if they're not like 40% three-point shooter, even if it's lower than that, but they'll shoot those threes, now all of a sudden another opposing coach has to game plan for that. So I, I would agree, especially the wing and the forward. Yeah. That, that two through four. Uh, but especially if you're if you're going to do someone that's a shooting guard nominally, I, I, I would look at someone with some size uh, mm-hmm. because I do think that is kind of something that's, they have a lot of size in their starting guards. Yeah. And then, but Patty and, and Forbes are kind of, uh, I think can be taken advantage of in that way of, of bigger guards could probably uh, go at them on, on offense. So so I think anywhere from that two to four range, someone that's a little bit long and can hit threes, but that is, you know, the biggest commodity in the NBA that's right That's what now. everybody wants, exactly, yeah. those three and D wings. I, I know, you know, we, we talk about Bellinelli's defense, but it's like, you know, where are you going to find these kind of players? I, that's why I feel like you got to give Lonnie Walker some minutes. So so I had I had, um, I had I had basically um, let you know beforehand, you know, the Spurs do have this probably this $90.2 million um, mid-level exception, and I want to see if you had any free agent targets. So I put, so I put together a list, and, and for Spurs casters, if you want to see that list, I put it over on analyzingtheleague.com. You can see uh, the whole list of all the players broken down by position that I put there. And, you know, as, as I started, like, sifting through the list and really taking my time and saying, oh, okay, what kind of player, you know, what kind of free agent? First of all, thinking of the money-wise, you know, first, you know, okay, so $9.2 million, What kind of player could they get with this kind of money? And I only ended up on two names out of the whole list. Um, for, like, let's say that defender who can play, like, the three and the four. I, I landed on Trevor Reza. Now, I, I really like him still because why, why? He's a good defender. Uh, he's a good, you know, he's not, he's not a volume three-point shooter, but he's a spot-up three-point shooter. But, again, he brings you that defense. Now, and I, I think maybe you can get him for the MLE, but he still might command over, over double digits with the Spurs don't have um, in terms of money. Um, now, if I'm Ariza, again, I don't know why I come to San Antonio. I, I, am I guaranteed a starter spot there? Right now it looks like I'm not. And then, you know, you know, maybe, okay, so maybe I'll come off the bench, but is there any guarantee that I'm ever going to move up to the starting lineup? Is, is that kind of thing? I feel like he can get a starting job on other playoff teams, on other contenders. Uh, uh, who did you have? In, did you have anybody in mind for that defensive type of wing? But who can also shoot threes? <laughs> so it, it's hard because you look at the list and uh, either those players don't exist or the Spurs are immediately priced out. Or they're Clay Thompson and we know that, you know, yeah. we just know they're not coming to San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, like the, the price tag is too high. So I kind of tried to look for one or the other. Okay. Um, I was looking at, and this would not take the full MLE, uh, so maybe you swing a couple of times. Um, again, this was something that, again, Jabari Young of the Athletic around the trade deadline talked about how the Spurs had been interested in Stanley Johnson in the past. Yeah, I saw, I saw his name on there. Hey. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't take the whole. He would, he, he'd I mean, probably take three three to five. Right, right. No, probably three million. His, his value is very low right yeah, now. Yeah, there, there's no reason to believe he can instantly come in and be that contributor. But if the Spurs feel like in our system we can make him a better player, there's no reason not to take a shot yeah. on a player like that. Um, a Wayne Ellington type who's been a consistent three-point shooter at some point. You know, I know with the Heat, he did that very pretty well. Uh, he did not play... Actually, honestly, don't know if he played at all this season because of injury. But Lukumba Mute had that season with the Houston where he defended. Well, oh yeah, he, he didn't see. And he was on my list in terms of that defensive guy yeah. off the bench. But I don't know if he ends up being like Dante Cunningham, that yeah. kind of player, because just because the fact of the injury, it basically kept him out all year. He never got to. Yeah. So we don't know where his, his physically state is at, and, and if he can get back to being. You know, when he was at Houston, it was pretty good that last right. year. So, so I, I think yeah, I had his name too written down, but then I, I erased it because of that fact, the so, injury. Yeah, yeah, all, all of the. Guys that I'm looking at are not like absolutely what what you're looking for. They're almost kind of like uh, chances at that player. Yeah. Like you know, we'll sign this player and see if he turns out to be this player. But there's a good chance that now those three 
are the Dante Cunningham and Quincy Pondexter that are leaving after one year. So it's one of those where it's I, I don't see any sure shots in there. I just see some maybe like chances where they can hope that that guy maybe becomes that person in their system, but no guarantees. In terms of a volume shooter, three point shooter, somebody who like doesn't just need some somebody else to set them up, like like Marco does, like like Patty Mills does, like Bertens does. I wrote down Terrence Ross. You know, uh, he too might get more than the nine the nine point two million, but I think that that's a pretty safe number for him. And so again, why him? Because you know, defensively, he's not. It's not. It's not. You know, he doesn't bring as much. Uh, like you like, he probably do more better than than Bellinelli, but still, he's bringing you that volume three point shooting where he can easily get hot off the bench and just kind of have one of those little runs. And also, he doesn't need somebody to set up for him. He can, he 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 has enough, um, you know, uh, control. I mean, just enough of in his game to take his own shots. What do you think about his name? Yeah, so we talked about needing the volume three point shooter and just someone who can come in and is not afraid to take the shot. And I think, you know. Uh, the Spurs mentality with shooters has kind of always been if we know they can hit shots, we want them to keep taking it. I mean, you can look back at pretty much any shooter who's ever had a streaky stretch. Gary Neal, yeah. Yeah, Gary Neal. I mean, Danny Green, a couple yeah. seasons where it was like, no, we just want him to keep shooting. Uh, but one of the, it's hard. I kind of have this mental block where when I think of uh, the Spurs signing him, I think of a couple years ago in Orlando when Jonathan Simmons was there. And, yeah. And he had the hoodie on and he thought it was Jonathan Simmons. Yeah, came up and that, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, again, we're talking about needing that type of player where at least, at least they're going to try to shoot threes and they can maybe create those shots for themselves. Yeah, especially like, like, you know, like when you play Denver in the playoffs and, and they take away all your spot up guys, well, then you got to have somebody who can, you still, still get you some threes in terms of, or at least be, be a threat from there in terms of creating their own. So I really don't know, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, honestly, if, if um, I really just want to see Lonnie get minutes in, in a real role, but again, we don't know how much confidence you know Pop, Pop would have in him in year two, and you know how early that would take. I would just really like to see Lonnie, like Lonnie be like the backup three, you know, next to Forbes and and and, and Patty Mills off the bench. That would be something fun to see because I mean he has so much athleticism, he has so much talent, and it's just it's just um you know he just needs the reps and, and really just be tested and see see what he can do. So so we'll see you know you know what the Spurs do uh, in terms of free agency. Uh, you know, obviously we'll start hearing rumors as, as it gets closer to July first. Uh, the last part of this offseason discussion, Colin, is uh, I want to talk about um, a possible extension for DeMar DeRozan. Now, um, starting, uh, this is a lot of this, all this information, should I say, comes from Bobby Marks of, um, of ESPN.com. So, starting on, uh, on uh, what is it, July 6th, the Spurs can amend De, uh, DeRozan's contract and they can change his $27 million player option next summer and, and make it up, start, start year one of, of a four year extension, of a possible four year extension. So, so there's some pros and cons to this uh, this type of deal if they wanted to do this. So, so one of the pros is that that the the 2021 free agency class is very very weak. It's, it doesn't have a lot of stars. So if you do, if let's say let's say you don't give DeRozan the extension and he opts out next summer, and he becomes an unrestricted free agent, well then you the only here is like some of the best names that are available. The top three names: DeRozan, not any kind of order. DeRozan, Draymond Green, Anthony Davis. Now we know Anthony Davis probably isn't, isn't coming to San Antonio. Draymond, I'm not, I'm not as high on, you know, he's playing better in the playoffs, uh, and so really, DeRozan is basically at the marquee free agent of that class. If you're, if you're, if you're not getting Anthony Davis or Draymond Green, so in a way, it almost makes sense for the Spurs to try to, um, you know, get get him the extension, lock him up now while they can. So, so how would this look for DeRozan? Um, you know, if 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 the, if he agreed with the Spurs, uh, he would start he would start his his, his uh, four year extension, um, and it would start next season. He would he would have this extension from age thirty one to thirty four, and he would make one hundred forty nine million. 
Now, if he opted, if he if he uh, if he didn't want the extension and he became a free agent unrestricted next summer, and let's say he signs with a new team, he leaves them. Well, then a four-year deal, same age, thirty-one to thirty-four, he ends up making one hundred seventy-four point six million. So that's a twenty-five point five million dollar difference. However, if you're DeRozan, you also don't know if teams are going to give you that much because, like, look at age thirty-four; he could be making forty-six point seven million on somebody else's team. And I'm not sure if that's somebody else, if those teams even, if they're out there, if they even exist. So we don't know exactly where other teams uh, gauge his value as he's going to get older. You know, as I said, next year he's going to be 31. So I I feel like, you know, Mark's had a good point that, you know, San Antonio needs to approach this offseason for DeRozan like he's a a free agent, an available free agent, and just try to lock him up now. He he mentions how they did this with LaMarcus Aldridge where they didn't even let LaMarcus sniff free agency. They immediately, you know, gave him a two-year extension for $50 so, so what do you think about that? Possibly San Antonio being a little bit more aggressive here in this offseason trying to lock up DeRozan. I, I think it makes a ton of sense, um, especially if projecting out. So if they think, okay, we're going to have Marcus for another year or two, but, but the plans are probably to not bring him back or, or see what happens after that. Um, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. The Spurs, for the first time in, in as long as I can remember, have a, a really solid young core where they have yeah. like four young players that can all grow together, and they might add one or two more in this draft. And I think if you just have a solid veteran playmaker who can kind of like lead the guard from we've had you know 20 years of Spurs awesome success to you know holding over and tiding over and, and kind of growing with with the younger players until maybe this new era of Spurs basketball, which we might see in, in two or three years once those players really come into their own. I, I think if, if you had to pick, and, and not to pick on Aldridge, but if you had to pick one of the two stars that would be better for ushering in that new era, it would be DeRozan, just because he has yeah. that playmaking ability and that uh, such. And and kind of like what happened with uh, Aldridge, I remember some of the chatter around that was, if you look at the next couple off seasons, I think it was that close actually at this point. If you look at the next couple off seasons and you don't think you can sign any of the marquee free agents, why not just lock up your guys? Like exactly. that cap space isn't going to do any good if if you're signing eight bench players, you know, yeah. instead of a DeRozan. So I think it makes a ton of sense for them. I think it would be good for for the security of it. I think that there's a little bit of kind of like, a, oh, this is one more year and then DeRozan's a free agent and he just got traded. It, there, there's a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling in terms of like he could just instantly be a free agent now. The Spurs are kind of rebuilding some of that culture and some of that n- new players all over again. Yeah. But if they can lock him up, they can kind of know what they'll have for the next couple of years. For sure. And so like the, the only reason why maybe they wouldn't do it is like let's just say like a lot of these, these the, the free agents this year like Kevin Durant, like Kyrie Irving, all these guys, let's say they sign only one-year deals. Well, then obviously they could become free agents that following uh, next summer is, as well. But, you know, again, I, I just think that the safest route for San Antonio is just to try to lock him up. So I really think that that's something to watch, you know, starting July 6th, do the Spurs, do we do we get an alert, you know, San Antonio, DeMar DeRozan, you know, working on, on progress on a, on a four-year extension. So so that might be something to watch. Uh, if, if financially, it's a, it's a really good move. And also, they still have cap space. That, you know, Mark Mark's mentioned how, like, let's just say, say they don't give DeRozan the extension, but they could have, like, around $30, $30 million, which is this cap hole next summer. If they do give the extension, that only goes down to like twenty five million. I was looking at some of the numbers. So again, they're, they're still going to have cash space. But again, like you just said, what are you going to do with the cash space if no one's going to come here? You know, if you're not going to get those marquee free agents, who's going to you know come and play? Uh, you know, what, what kind of per, uh, player are you going to get? You know, guaranteed. So you know, we'll see. As, as you know, it's just this is just the first uh, episode going into the off season now. Um, thank you, Colin, for joining me for Spurs Cast episode five hundred forty three. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, Spurs Cast listeners, at Colin Reed PS. So, again, it's at Colin Reed PS. I'm on Twitter. 
uh, Spurs Cast listeners, you know it's the off season now, so we'll be, um, you know, the the volume of episodes will kind of uh, start start going down. Uh, I'll be doing weekly again. Um, probably start targeting the draft a little bit more, and of course, if there's any kind of rumors on on players, um, you know, movement kind of things, um, uh, we'll definitely uh, be sure to discuss that here on the Spurs Cast. So, for Colin Reed, I am Paul Garcia. Thank you. Have a great day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.